Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. This is Stephen Luna, the lead pastor. I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening, and I hope you find that this inspires you in your relationship with Christ. Now here's this week's sermon. Awesome. Hey, as those offering buckets are going around, I just want to really quickly draw your attention to one announcement. We are entering into an awesome season. Uh, First of all, can I just say this? Happy New Year. 2020, we made it. We did it. I'm so excited. Uh, I thought by now we would have the, uh, the Jetsons cars and we'd be living in like, like way up in the atmosphere, but we're not there yet, but maybe in 2021. We'll, we'll see. I'm holding out for that. I thought we'd at least have hoverboards by now and I'd be just hovering to church, but hey, 2021, we'll see what happens. Uh, but man, we, we made it. This is the future. Doesn't it feel weird to say we're living in the year 2020? Crazy. But you know what? I, I'm, I'm fully convinced God is going to do some great stuff in 2020. He's got some great things in store for us, and uh, man, I'm super excited. So what we have decided as a church, this is now our third annual Daniel fast that starts on Monday, three years of of fasting, and and here's why we do it. We believe that in the same way God desires our first fruits, everybody say first fruits. That's a principle that we see all throughout scripture, the first fruits. Whenever a a farmer would would draw from their harvest, they would give their first fruits to the Lord. They'd say, God, you gave me this. Here's a tenth. When we tithe, we are saying the same thing. Lord, you have blessed me. Sunday's the first day of the week. I'm I'm bringing my tithe, my 10% to the church, and and I'm I'm gonna give you of my first fruits. Well, we are saying that the Lord uh, desires the first fruits in everything, even in the morning. That's why when we wake up, the first thing that should come from our mouths, the first thing that we should do before we, we turn over and say, good morning, honey, or whatever it is, or, or hey, Facebook, before you do anything like that, you, you should say, Lord, thank you. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just audibly praising your name. I'm giving you my first fruits. Obviously, I'm going to praise you all day, but, but I'm going to give of you my first fruits, the first words out of my mouth. Well, we said this as a church, we want to give God our first fruits in the sense of uh, the, first, the first month of the year, we're focusing and, and dedicating that to prayer and fasting. And can I say this? Every year that we have done that, this, um, God has blessed our church. We have seen him do some powerful things. In fact, I had people who have come to me who, who didn't partake in, in the, year, the first year that we did it. It was too new, and uh, they just were like, ah, I'll join next time. They joined the second year, and they said, man, I wish I would have done it the first year because God met me. He, he did some powerful things in me and through me, and maybe you're on the fence right now. Maybe you're new to church. You're just like, hey, this is, this is kind of weird. I know nothing about the Daniel fast. I know nothing about praying and fasting. I, I'm going to challenge you as someone who loves you, as your friend, join the Daniel fast. God will meet with you. He will bless you. And I'm excited about what he's going to do. So the, you're like, what, how, how does this work? Well, from the dates of January 6th to the 26th, so we still got uh, one whole day. So eat all you can. In fact, yesterday, I, all I ate was bacon because we bought bacon. And I was like, man, I better eat this. The Daniel Fast starts Monday. So I fried bacon and just had bacon for lunch. And now I feel, I feel horrible. Uh, but it's all right. It's all right. The Daniel Fast. That's why the Lord gave it to us. So, uh, and then we're going to talk about more specifics in the message. But I, I just want to let you know two things. One, it starts on Monday, and it goes till the 26th of January, 21 days. And then we are going to have corporate prayer every Wednesday night during that period. So it's going to be powerful. Amen? Amen. Amen. God just doesn't do miracles on, on Sundays. He also does them on Wednesdays and Mondays and Tuesdays. All right, let's keep going. Hey, let me just pray for us as we jump into the, the preaching this morning. Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you that you are a miracle-working God. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would be with us, that you would transform us, that you would uh, do just great works among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So I, maybe, maybe you've heard this about me. I uh, did not have a long football career as a kid. Uh, in fact, it only lasted one season, and that's because I quickly realized that I was just too ADD for football. Um, I, I was not good at memorizing playbooks. When, when they're like, hey, let's go play some football, I'm like, yeah, we get to run, we get to hit. It's every ADD kid's dream. Like, we're just gonna be crazy. And then the coach gave us a book, and he said, go read this. And I'm like, I don't like football anymore. Uh, so, so they gave us plays, and, and I was always taller as a kid, and I was pretty fast, so they, they put me on offense, and they put, I wasn't smart enough to be a wide receiver, so they put me closer to the quarterback. I was a tight end, the office, offensive tight end, and, and there I was on the line, and I never knew any of the plays. I would go into the huddles, and I'd be like, hey, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and then he'd tell me, hey, just go five yards, cut left, and then just, just stay open, all right? So I was like, you know, I'm, I grew up in a very Hispanic and Mexican uh, community. I'm Mexican, and uh, I was always just taller. I'm like six foot. I'm six, I'm six two. Uh, so, so as a kid, I was just always taller. All I had to do was put my hands up, and, and I'd catch the ball. So, so there, I was an easy target. So they just tell me, this is what you do. Run five miles, or rough five miles. Run five yards, turn left, cut right, curl, whatever it is, slant, whatever it is. They tell me what to do. Uh, and, and I was a kind of a, a kid who I was a first half player. Like I was really good in the first half, but something happened to me during halftime. I don't know if it's when, when like the band got out there and everybody was cheering and I, there was just a lot more people. I just started getting nervous. Maybe it was a performance anxiety that I had, but I would just like get to second half and I would have hives during kickoff. I'd just, be, I'd just have hives. I, I don't know what it was. I'd get nervous. So my coach started doing something. He, he started getting, and it was me and a couple guys who had the same issue. He, he'd bring us in, the whole team, and he started bringing to our, our huddles during uh, halftime, he'd bring in uh, his top secret formula. And he pulls out of his back pocket a baggie, and there's powder in there. And this is Chicago, so we're like, what is that? But then we found out it's a top secret formula. And right on the, on the baggie, it really was written in red Sharpie, top secret formula. And the coach came up to us, Coach Garcia came up to us, he's like, guys, this stuff right here is going to make you so fast. Right, he's like, you guys ever watch Space Jam? And we're like, yes, we're from Chicago, MJ's awesome, we've watched Space Jam. Do you remember what happened to those monsters that turned them into monsters and they got so good and they just like, this is gonna happen to you. We're like, yes, coach. So from, from that point forward, our half times was just top secret formula time. Like our coach would come in, he's like, guys, I got, I got the goods, I got top secret formula. We're like, yes, we're gonna play so good in the second half. And we became a second half team. Well, there, towards the end of our season, like I'm telling you, I learned routes I never even knew. I was memorizing plays. Like it was just crazy. It, it cured my ADD, praise the Lord, right? So here we are, second half, the coach, coach pulls out, top secret formula, it works. The next game, we're towards the end of the season, uh, the coach forgets the top secret formula. We played lousy first half. We're here at halftime. We're like, don't worry, we got the top secret formula. Coach comes in, he's like, guys, I forgot it. And we're like, coach, we're, like, we're going to lose. We, we need these PEDs to perform. Like, these, these are enhancing our performance. Please give us these, right? And, and the coach looks at us. He's like, guys, I, I got I to gotta come straight. It was just purple Gatorade. There was nothing in there. I, I just didn't put anything in. Like, there was no sugar in it. That's why it tastes different, because you're used to all that sugar. But it's just purple Gatorade. It's just purple drink. And I'm like, no. This whole time, we thought we were playing well because of that. And the coach was letting us know that it wasn't a top-secret formula. In fact, it was, it was the placebo effect. But I'm here to tell you this morning that in the first part of our year, the first half of our year, when we designate the first part of that to praying and fasting, we will see some top secret results. In fact, it's no secret. God will enhance us. He will draw us closer to him that this season of praying and fasting will improve every aspect of our lives. Why? Because I believe this, that when God's people pray and fast, he's given us a promise 
that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. That when we ask, he, we will receive. That when we seek, we will find. That when we knock, the door will be open to us. And maybe you have been walking through 2019 saying, God, you haven't shown up at all. But I'm here to tell you that in 2020, God desires to do miracles. And it will happen through the season of praying and fasting. It will happen. It will happen. So you may be saying, what, what, what is the Daniel fast? Like, where, where do we draw this from? Maybe that you're new and you didn't hear the last couple of years. And uh, let, let me just quickly explain that to you. I'm not gonna spend too much time talking about the specific, specific nature of the Daniel fast, but we find this in Daniel chapter one and in Daniel chapter 10. In this story, Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, we find the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of, of Judah, rather, uh, they were overtaken by another nation known as the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in and completely Completely decimated the people of Judah. They had turned their hearts away from God, and God said, if you guys want nothing to do with me, I will give you up to your own heart's desires, and I will lift my hand of protection, and I will give you over to the Babylonians, but it's only going to last for, uh, for 50 years. So the Lord said, okay, I'm going to remove my hand of protection. The Babylonians came in, and that protection was no longer there, and they were taken from Judah and a lot of the, the rulers and the elite and, and the individuals that were middle class, they were taken from this place and they were transplanted to Babylon. And we find ourselves following this life and story of a man by the name, or a child, a boy really, he was 11, 12 years old, a boy of the, by the name of Daniel and his three friends who we see in scripture, they're known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in Daniel chapter one, we see that already the king of Babylon is trying to manipulate the people of, of Judah into thinking that Babylon is their new God, that, that this king will provide for them and take care of them, and they no longer needed the God of Israel, that they, that they, that they were now out of that place, and obviously God didn't care for them, so now, that, that now, now you might as well allow me to be your God, is what the king would say, King Nebuchadnezzar at the time. But Daniel stood resolved and said, I, I know that to not be true. Even though I'm going through a difficult circumstance, I know my God is faithful. And I know that, that King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you may think you're a king and you may think you're my provider, but really it's God. So here, here's what I'm gonna do for the next uh, 10 days. I'm not gonna eat any of the foods that you're feeding us. I'm not gonna listen to any of the things that you're saying. I, I'm, I'm gonna feast myself on the presence of God. And he said this, See, test me in this and see that at the end of these days where I'm just eating fruits and veggies and water, see that I am not stronger, smarter, faster, better looking, uh, more intellectual than all of the people that have been uh, relying on what you've been giving them. And at the end of the 10 days, guess what happened? They, they were better, they were smarter, they were stronger, they were fit. Like it was, it was just crazy. So the Lord provided and proved that he is the one that they can be dependent on. So in Daniel chapter one, we see that, that really the fast was uh, dependence on God. In Daniel chapter 10, however, we see another aspect of the Daniel fast for 21 days. Now, Daniel is an older man, and he had been, received a vision from the Lord, and he had no way, he had no idea how to uh, interpret that vision he was given. So the Lord said this, or, or he told the Lord this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast for 21 days. I'm not going to eat any of the choice foods. I'm not gonna eat any of the meat or anything that, that is presented to me. I'm just gonna drink water and eat vegetables and fruit, and, and I'm, I'm just gonna stay away from that. At the end of the 21 days, an angel of the Lord came to Daniel and said this, Daniel, I've been watching you since the first day you began praying. I heard your prayers, and here is the answer, that interpretation. Maybe, as you enter into 2020, you are someone who desires to become more dependent on God. 
Maybe you've been living your life and you recognize that, that self-sufficiency doesn't work for you, that, that lifting you up by your own bootstraps is not the philosophy God has for you. And you may be saying, God, I want to learn to be more dependent on you. I want to learn to, to trust you in ways I haven't before. Or maybe you are someone who is seeking clarity. Maybe you're entering into a stage of life that you've never experienced before, and you're like, God, I, I don't know how to, to be married. I don't know how to uh, raise children. I don't know how to be empty nesters or whatever phase you're entering in. And you're just saying, God, I, I need clarity. Maybe you are walking and making some decisions coming up in 2020, and you're like, God, uh, help me, to lead me, give me the answers that I need. Well, I know that the Daniel fast is gonna be a time where we will find clarity and we will learn to be dependent on God like never before. This is a season that is for you. You may be saying, isn't that just a diet, though, right? Like fruits, veggies, legumes. I don't even know what legumes are, but I eat them. My wife gives them to me. I'm like, cool, legumes. Um, but, but, but isn't this just a diet? Well, I'm going to say this. A diet is a change of, uh, of what you're eating so that you could look good at the end of it, but a fast is completely different. Fast is a change of what you are eating so that at the end of it you can see better. So dieting is to look good, but fasting is to see better, to, to see what the Lord is saying, to, to see yourself differently. God shows up when his people fast. It's a promise. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it's clear, it says this, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. It is a promise. So this season of praying and fasting, we are turning from everything else and directing our attention on God, and we are praying and asking him to, to invade our lives and do what only he can do. He will show up. He will show up. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 is, is where we find ourselves this morning, and I'm convinced of this, that praying and fasting will lead to spiritual breakthrough. Has anyone been in a place where you felt like there was just a ceiling in your life that you could not overcome, that there was something that you just constantly kept hitting up against? Maybe it was, maybe it was a, a framework, a, a mindset that you couldn't break, or maybe it was just feeling when you go to church, you just felt emptiness, and you couldn't find this, this ability to break through this and, and find peace. Well, I'm here to tell you that praying and fasting brings about spiritual breakthrough, and we're going to see this in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 is an incredible chapter. We see in this one chapter going from extreme high to extreme low. At the first part of Matthew 17, just some context for you, we see that Jesus takes up Peter, James, and John, his, his inner circle, and they go up to a mountain, likely Mount Hermon, which was 12, miles, uh, 12 mile high mountaintop, and they go up to this mountain. It's just the four of them, Peter, James, John, and Jesus. And while they're up there, I'm sure Peter, James, and John are like, uh, why, why are we coming up here, Jesus? The, the other nine disciples, they, they have already made their way to Capernaum. Why, why are we staying on this mountain? And Jesus just doesn't say anything. They get to the top of this mountain, and like a flash, Jesus is what the Bible says, transfigured. 
the Greek word would be more like metamorphosized, metamorphosed. He's completely changed and transformed. And the Bible uses uh, different descriptors. It says his, his clothing were as, as bright as lightning, lightning or as, as bright as the sun or the whitest white you have ever seen. It was whiter than any, any bleach could do. Like it was, just, it was just crazy. He was dazzling. And he was, his clothes were all bedazzled and he had sparkles and everything. Like he was gorgeous, right? Uh, it's kind of like, um, never mind, I'm not gonna get to that. But what was that one movie where that guy dazzled in the sun? Never mind. I forget the name of that. that Twilight. Oh, goodness. Why did I? Ugh. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. But, but he was completely just, just transformed. And really, this was the glory that he had with, the, with God before he came to the earth. I mean, this was his, his glorified um, uh, uh, personhood, right? So there he was standing, and Peter, James, and John are like, what is going on? Their, their minds are blown. At that very moment, we see Elijah and Moses both descend to this mountain. And I don't know how the boys figured out that this was uh, uh, Moses and Elijah, but maybe they had to have that said Moses and Elijah on each arm or whatever, but, but there, here they were, Moses and Elijah, the embodiment of the law and the embodiment of the Old Testament prophets, here standing with a glorified Jesus, and, and Peter is freaking out. He's like, uh, um, should, should I make tents? Like, like should, should we just like build some tents and go camping? The Bible literally says that in Mark's gospel, it says that he put his foot in his mouth. He didn't know what else to say. He was so terrified. Anybody ever, has anyone ever been there where you just don't know what to say, so you just say whatever comes to your mind, and then the moment you're just like, yeah, I probably should take my foot out of my mouth. Peter had that moment. He's like, should, should I make some tents? Should we go camping? I brought s'mores, right? Like he didn't know, he didn't know what to say in this moment. So, so at, at that same moment, Moses, Elijah, they're confirming the ministry of Jesus. They're saying, yes, we, this is the one. Like everything that I wrote about in the law, Moses is saying, was pointing to Jesus. And, and everything that was prophesied, uh, Elijah is saying, the greatest prophet was pointing to Jesus. And Jesus, there he is in his glorified nature. At that very moment, a cloud descends from heaven. And this isn't, just a, uh, this isn't a rain cloud or a vapor cloud. In fact, Peter, James, and John knew exactly what that was because they understood that a cloud that descends from heaven and rests upon uh, this mountain, that was the same exact cloud that led their people in the wilderness. This was a, what we consider in theology a theophany, a, a presentation of the presence of God. And from this cloud, says this, it's the voice of God. And he says, this is my beloved son, Jesus, whom I love, listen to him. And in that moment, everything is back to normal. And Peter, James, and John are like, what just happened? Like here we saw, like, like they wanted to stay on that mountaintop forever, but Jesus understood that they needed that to help them as they were going to navigate the next part of our story. In Matthew 17, we go from extreme high to an extreme low. Here we pick up our story in verse 14. It says, when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. So Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are walking down to the other nine disciples. And as they get to the bottom of that mountain, and as they come to that city, likely Capernaum, this man runs to Jesus. He kneels down before him falls at his feet, tears in his eyes, and says, Lord, he said, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers severely. He has seizures and suffers severely. I, I don't know if you've ever been with someone who has epilepsy, but it is a terrifying experience. 
My youngest brother, Matthew, was, he, he struggled with epilepsy his entire childhood, and we recall the, the fear of, of not knowing if, when it was going to happen. There was some triggers that we thought we could avoid, but, but we never truly knew when they were going to happen, and we always had this constant fear. What if something would happen as, as, as he's at school, or what if something happens as he's walking up the steps and he falls down the stairs, or what happens if something happens in the shower and we don't even know? Like, like all of these just what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, and here is this father who is just terrified of of what he's been experiencing, feels completely helpless, and he, and he comes to the feet of Jesus with nowhere else to turn. You see, they didn't have modern medicine. There was no medication they could have gave him. There was, there was nothing to remedy the situation he was experiencing. He needed Jesus. And I believe as I look across the, the, the crowd this morning that we are individuals who, if we're honest with ourselves, would say the same thing, I am in need of Jesus. I need him to do things that, that I can't control anymore. I, I think things are, are going out of control. I try to fix it, but things get more and more muddled. I need Jesus. So he comes to him, and he's giving detail, and he says this in the very next part of verse 15. He says this, he often falls into the fire and into the water. This was all Jesus needed to hear to give the diagnosis of what was happening. Jesus understood that this wasn't just epilepsy, but that this was demonic in nature. Now, why is it? I don't want to spend too much time in, in giving a theology for, for a demon possession, but we know this, that most often, I've had people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm possessed, and I'm, I'm feeling this, and, and, I, and I, I talk to them a little bit, and I can tell by the end of our conversation that demonic possession isn't what the individual is struggling with. Uh, when someone is demonic, demonically possessed, we see that whenever this demon manifests in the person, that the person uh, is likely hurting themselves. I'm not talking self-mutilation. I'm talking gory situations. And every time this, this epilepsy, these seizures would overtake this boy, it was always whenever he was near the water, drawing water for food or taking a bath. And this demon was trying to kill this boy. So Jesus, when he heard that this demon man, or, or this situation manifests itself near fire and water, that this was demonic in nature. So he continues on. It says here, I brought him to your disciples. And this is why the argument was happening when they went from this high to the extreme low. There was an argument happening. And here's why we see it was happening. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. They didn't have the ability to heal him. Verse 17, Jesus replied, he, he looks to the disciples, he looks to the crowd that is there, and he says, you unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Now, the first time you read this, you are like, man, Jesus, take it easy. Like, stop being that little league coach who's yelling at their kid, like, hurry up, get to second base. Like, like Jesus, be, be a little patient. And, and, and why are you being so, so stressed out? Chill out, Jesus, right? Uh, but but can, can I be honest with you? If, if that is how you interpret that passage, you, you, you're not understanding the full context of what is actually happening in this situation. And I'm gonna give that to you in a second. Uh, but, but I want us to just cue in on two words Jesus uses. He uses the, word, the words unbelieving and rebellious. He looks to his disciples, and we know Jesus is not a liar, so there is something clearly rebellious and uh, something that is causing them to be unbelievers in that moment. What, what, what does that mean? When he says unbelieving, he's specifically saying this, you are far from me. And when you are rebellious, you are close to the world. Jesus is telling 
this crowd, you as a generation, don't believe in God and you're infatuated with the world. Could I submit to you that at 2020, the greatest thing you can do to no longer be someone who is unbelieving and rebellious is to pray and fast. There are very few things that we can do that will draw us closer to the presence of God like praying and fasting. I'm telling you, friends, this Daniel fast will draw you near to God and will pull you away from the vices of this world. Praying and fasting. So he looks at them. He, he says, how long must I put up with you? Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. He was healed. Verse 19, then the disciples approached Jesus privately. I don't know if they got into the church van and as they're sitting there, Jesus is just quiet and he's driving and, and the boys pile in one by one, you know, and some, Peter's giving roll call. He's like Matthew and he's going through all the lists or whatever. They all get in the van, they're sitting there and then they get to Jesus privately and they say this, Jesus, um, why, why couldn't we drive out the demon? And Jesus looks at them. He says, because of your little faith, he told them. Because of your little faith, for I assure you, if you have, or in that situation, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed that uh, individuals living in the ancient Near East had as a garden plant, if you had, which is literally like a tenth the size of a sunflower, a very tiny sunflower seed, or a real tiny seed, he says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, that small of a faith, you would tell this mountain to move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, verse 21 says this, however, this kind does not come out, specifically this kind of situation or that demonic possession does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Pause. Now, I just want to be super clear. If you are reading, I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible, but if you are reading from a more modern translation, they completely omit verse 21, not because uh, they, they disagree or because they, they don't like it, but it's because the older translations use newer manuscripts. And the more modern translations, uh, since time has, has revealed archaeological finds, we have found older manuscripts. So they, they go back to the older manuscripts, and many of the older manuscripts do not have verse 21. So somewhere along the line, as we had these newer manuscripts that the older translations are based out of, they were what are called scribal editions. They're not heretical, they're not transforming the, the message, the, the heart of the message is still there, but the scribes who were likely theologians and, and, and people who studied the law and studied the word, as they were translating this text, this gospel, they knew what Jesus was implying, so they added the application. How, how do we find freedom from this type of demonic manifestation? what was taught and what was considered to be trustworthy and true was praying and fasting. In fact, that very notion is proved in Mark's account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three gospels are, are like th three types of, uh, three sides of a diamond, multifaceted. There's all these different angles and they're not a different story. They just give different details to the story. And Matthew and Mark and Luke all talk about this, this story that we see of the transfiguration and then the, the boy that could not be, the demon could not be cast out by the disciples. And in Mark's account, we see this. Verse 28, 
chapter 9. After he went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. There are things in our lives that we have held on to for too long. There are vices and addictions and strongholds in our lives that we have tolerated for too long. And the Lord would say to us this morning, I want to deliver you. We serve a God who loves to bring deliverance to his people. In fact, all throughout Genesis through Revelation, God has been on this journey to give life and life abundantly to his people, to deliver them from sin, to deliver them from Egypt, to deliver them from from whatever, uh, from Babylon. We see this time and time again where God is desiring to give people freedom. But can I tell you that today the Lord desires to do the same. He wants to bring freedom to our lives. And I'm telling you at the start of our year, there's no greater way to find freedom than through saying, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna fast. So really quickly, three ways prayer and fasting brings spiritual breakthrough. Everybody say breakthrough. Maybe you are in your proverbial halftime and you're feeling, man, I I don't have enough to perform. I I, I can't go back out there. I I can't take this year on. I'm setting up these goals and these resolutions and and there's no way I'm gonna be able to accomplish that. Can, Can I just say this? A season of prayer and fasting is what we need. It's what we need. So three ways that prayer and fasting brings about spiritual breakthrough. The first one is this. Prayer and fasting removes the rut. Everybody say rut. Rut, this idea. Now, I I looked up the word rut, and I found out that there's also a a hunting term that um, I had no idea of because I grew up in Chicago. I've never hunted a day in my life. But that's not the type of rut I'm talking about. This kind of rut that I'm talking, and all the the hunters are laughing in here, but this kind of rut is, is, have you ever said, man, I'm, I'm just stuck in a rut. Anybody ever say that? Where, where maybe you're just going through the motions, you wake up in the morning, you pour that bowl of cereal, the same cereal you've had for the last 20 years, life cereal or checks, and then you eat that cereal, you get in the car, you put on the same shoes, you, you, you go to work, and then you say hi to the same people, you clock in, you punch out, and you, you get back into the car, you go home, you listen to the exact, same exact song, right? The same exact songs on the radio, because that's what Christian radio does, same exact song. So you, you finally get home, and then you get home, and you're eating the same food, the same meal, because it's Tuesday, so you know that's meatloaf, and you, fi- you finish that meal, you put the kids to bed, or you go to bed, and then you wake up and you do it again. You are going through the same motions. You are stuck in a rut, and sometimes, if we could be honest, that happens to us spiritually, where we wake up, we go to church, we lift up our hands, we give to the tithe and offering, and we go home, and we find ourselves just going through the monotony of life, and you say, man, I am in a rut. Well, this word comes from a French word that was uh, where we get the word route or root from, and it's literally describing uh, the, the, this route that people would take in the older days when they had these wagons these, the, with the wooden wheels, you know what I'm talking about, stagecoach, they, they would drive and they would follow in the countryside the exact same route that other people before them have gone through. And after months and years of going through the same route, what would happen is that this route would create a rut in the road, and because so many people have paved this road, Three inches to the left, there's nothing but grass. Well, because everybody, we're creatures of habit, and we continue, we f- continue following this route, we have worn the path so low that now if you take that route, you will get stuck in a rut. 
And I believe that if you are stuck in a spiritual rut where you have just not had passion during worship, where you look when other people are worshiping, you're just like, oh, I I can barely lift up my hands. I'm stuck in this place. Can I submit to you that prayer and fasting removes the rut in our lives? In fact, when we look at Matthew 17, I'm also going to say that the reason why these boys could not cast out that demon was because they themselves were stuck in a spiritual rut. Have you ever asked yourself, why couldn't these boys cast out that demon? I think the most often uh, answer to that question, if you were just going to read just really quickly through this text, the, most, the, the, the quickest answer is this, it was above their pay grade. They, they couldn't do it. They didn't have the authority or the power. Uh, they, they, they skipped, they, they were asleep when Jesus was giving that lesson on how to cast out demons, and they just missed it uh, in Sunday school. And now Jesus came back and said, oh, you failed the, the final because you didn't read, right? Like, can, can I just submit to you, that's not why they couldn't cast out this demon. It's because they were stuck in a rut. Well, pastor, where, where do you see that? It's not in the text. It's in the context of the text. Let me, let me tell you this. We see that previous to this situation, we see that Jesus had already given them authority to drive out demons. How do we know this? Well, let's look at the Gospels. Before this story, chronologically, they had already been given authority. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we see this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Months before they ever came to that boy who was struggling with that demon, they had already been given the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That literally means Jesus came to them and said, hey, what I have been doing, I am now giving you to the authority to do that in my name. You have the ability to overcome those obstacles. In fact, Mark gives us even more context when he tells us in Mark chapter 9, we see, or Mark chapter 6, so before this story, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the clean spirits. Meaning that if they said in Jesus' name be casted out, they could do that. They already had the power. They already had the authority that they needed. Verse 12 tells us, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They, they were preaching the gospel and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The reason why these boys could not deal with this demon was not because it was above their pay grade. It's because they were stuck in a spiritual rut. They started relying on their own strength as opposed to the strength and the power of Jesus. Remember, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the leaders, essentially, of the 12 were gone. And in that time span, they started relying on their own strength, and they fell away from the authority of Jesus and started thinking, oh, I've done this before. I can just uh, really quickly in the name of Jesus be healed. And nothing would happen. They were stuck in a rut. And if we're honest with ourselves, just because the talk clicked to midnight and we are now in a new year doesn't mean you're instantly out of that rut. If you want freedom if you want the authority and to, to walk in the authority that Christ has already given us, I'm telling you, friend, prayer and fasting is going to remove the rut in our lives. You see, we also see in Mark's gospel, he gives us even more context to what was happening in this story. In Mark 9, we see this. When they, meeting Peter, James, and John, when they came from the mountain and met the nine, They came to the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them, 
And the teachers of the law were arguing with them. Matthew, for some reason, omits this little detail, but Mark gives it to us, and we now understand that they were fighting amongst themselves. The teachers of the law were opposed to Jesus. In fact, we see them say many times when they're arguing with Jesus that you're really not the son of God. You're not the Messiah. You don't have authority. You don't have power. In fact, the, the reason why you're able to cast out demons is because you yourself are possessed by one. So imagine Jesus, Peter, James, and John are gone, and here we have the disciples with the authority of Jesus to cast out demons, and they're listening to the teachers of the law. They're listening to the naysayers. Can I just say this? In 2020, you need to separate yourself from the teachers of the law and no longer allow outside voices influence you from chasing after Jesus. These boys were stuck in a rut. They were stuck in a rut. Prayer and fasting is the perfect way to surround yourself with God's voice and to remove yourself from the voices of the world. Prayer and fasting, secondly, prayer and fasting grows your faith. It grows your faith. We see in this passage where Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed or as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I have oftentimes thought, that faith was something that you could measure. But can I say nowhere in scripture does it teach that, that, it's, that, that some people are given an allotment of like a skill level, like, yo, you got a, a skill level of nine. Like, well, you have great faith. And, oh, sorry, you're just a two. Guess you don't. No, when, when, when the scriptures teach on faith, you either have it or you don't. That, that's it. So if, if you meet someone, they're like, man, they have big faith. They got, they got faith. And if you feel like God is not moving in your life, can I just be honest? This is not, not an indictment on anyone. You, you just, you don't have faith. But you know what grows our faith? What instills in us a steadfast faith, a faith that can move mountains? Praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. See, one reason the disciples were rendered useless in this situation, even though they had been given authority, was because they had little faith. Look what he says in verse 20 of that same passage. Because of your little faith, he told them, for I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed and you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. You know, faith is moving worry and doubt and insecurity, literally, it's moving those things. When we have faith, we are moving those things from our shoulders into the hands of God. That's what faith does. It takes the worry, the insecurities, the doubts, the, the, the feelings of inadequacy, it's moving them from our shoulders into their rightful place, and that is into the hands of God. Do you remember that time when uh, your, your, your kids, maybe, maybe they're grown now, but do you remember that time? Maybe you don't have kids. Let me, let me tell you, there's something to look forward to. It's so fun feeding them. Like, it's so fun to hold them and to, to hold that bottle. They're so cute. And, oh, they spit up again, and you think it's cute. Everyone else is grossed out, but you're like, oh, it's, it's all right. It's, it's, it's my kids. They're cute, right? Uh, or maybe you're like, Pastor, I didn't have that experience. Let's keep going in the story. But you remember, remember holding the bottle, and then the glorious moment when they began holding their own bottle? Oh, man, and, and there they are in the car, and you can just hand them a bottle when they're crying, and you just can keep driving. You're like, you go, buddy. You got this and your hands are free, you can go continue doing what you're doing, have a conversation, be an actual person and not have an appendage all the time that you're, I'm just being funny, right? But, but you remember that moment of that, that the moment of, of dependence and you're just like, oh, it's so great. 
Well, I think there are times in our lives where we feel, and dependency is great. It, it, it means maturity. We're growing. But somewhere in our lives spiritually, I feel that, that we feel that it's now our responsibility to be dependent from God or independent from God and say, God, don't, don't worry. I, I've got this. I can hold my own bottle. But did you know God loves when his people understand that even though they could lean on their own strengths, they choose instead to lean on him? He loves when his people and his children come to him and say, Lord, I could fight this battle, but you fight so much better than I do. And I believe some of you in this place have been fighting too hard and you are entering into 2020 exhausted. Can I, can I just tell you, let God be God. In a season like praying and fasting is a great way to do that. What, what happens when we're fasting? When we fast, we are abstaining from some foods and relying on God. We are literally saying what Christ said when he was fasting and said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. Remember, Satan came to him while he was fasting and said, hey, from these stones, I can make some good biscuits from a golden corral. You want some? And, and Jesus looks to Satan and says, listen, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word of God. Did you know Jesus had the authority, if he wanted, he didn't eat Satan, if, if he wanted to, he could have just made those biscuits himself. But instead of relying on his own ability and strength, he knew that in this season of fasting, I'm relying on God. I'm, allow, I'm allowing him to build up my faith. Did you know before Jesus ever preached anywhere else, in fact, the moment he, was, he came out of the water after his baptism, the first thing he did in his ministry was pray and fast. No miracles, no sermons. He didn't go to any like fellowship banquet halls or anything. Like, like literally the first thing he did was go and pray and fast. Why? Because he knew that those 40 days would build up his faith. In fact, the Bible says specifically that he was sent out by the Holy Spirit to go pray and fast in the wilderness. Friend, in 2020, the first thing we need, the first thing I need is for the Lord to remove the rut and to build my faith through praying and fasting. Where I'm no longer relying on myself. You know, I can just go to the fridge and eat whatever I want. But when I'm, when I'm fasting, specifically the Daniel fast, I have to be intentional about what I eat and what I don't eat. I can't just, you know, open up the drawer and pull some gummy bears out and throw them. No, I, I, have to, I have to be strategic. And every single time I'm choosing to say no, I'm reminding myself why I'm saying no. I'm saying no to something so that I can say yes to the presence of God in my life. I, I am forsaking something so that I can say, come, Jesus, and speak to me. I'm spending more time in prayer and reading the word, saying, Lord, you are the one who satisfies and meets my every need. And can I tell you this? When you pray and fast, for some reason, the rest of the year is different. You continue to drink from the wells of what the Lord produced in January, way out in June. I, I mean, just, just think about this. The first fast we ever went on, went on I felt the Lord speak to me through and confirm through some, some people in the congregation that, that my wife and I would, would foster and adopt a, a baby girl, and we did that. The next year, in fact, last week, we had over eight families in our church complete that same process to become parents, uh, foster parents, and now we are seeing that God is just doing this, this snowball effect of what he starts, he completes, and I, I don't know what he's going to do in 2020, but I'll tell you this much, I'm not going to put a limit on it. He will do some powerful things when his people pray and fast. And third, 
Prayer and fasting overcomes demonic activity. There are some strongholds that many of us in this place have, and you have just learned to live with them. You've tolerated them. You say every single week, and aren't you, can I just be honest, aren't you sick of having to repent of the same sin week after week after week? Can I, can I say something bold? God wants to move you from glory to glory, meaning from height to height to height. And I'm not saying that that means no bad things are coming our way and, and no complications, because Jesus says in this world we will have troubles. But, but, but I don't believe that God's desire and goal for your life is just to live with that weight of sin on your shoulders. But he wants to give you freedom. He wants to help you find breakthrough. You're saying, Pastor, you don't know. I, I've had this mouth since I've been a kid. And I, I, I trust Jesus and I love Jesus and I'm saved, praise God, but, but I'm just always gonna talk the way I talk. No, he wants to bring deliverance and freedom and he wants to find freedom in your life. Or maybe you've saying, Pastor, I, listen, I'm, I've been watching pornography since I, since I was a kid. It's just, it's just something I, I do now, but I'm saved. Hey, you are, praise the Lord. He doesn't want you to continue carrying the stronghold. He wants to bring freedom and deliverance. Some of us may, may be saying, you know, Pastor, I've, I've struggled with needing the approval of people. I live my life according to, hey, what, what is so-and-so going to think? Or, or what are they going to say? Or what are people on Instagram? Like, am I, I going to get those likes? I better, I better upload and post. And God wants to bring breakthrough in 2020. He wants you to learn to be dependent on him more than you are dependent on anyone else. Like, thank God he's given us significant others that we have a person we can call a husband or a wife or a mom or dad. He's given us people that we can rely on, but can I say this, that the number one person we should be reliant on and dependent upon is God. And if you would be saying in this moment, more than your spouse, believe it or not, like, I love my wife. She is the greatest. She is my helpmate. She is my everything. We lead this church together. We lead our household together. We, I, I love being married. It is a joy. We've got children. It is amazing sometimes. <laughs> but if, God forbid, if, if there was ever a day where all of that was taken... God forbid if that ever happened. Jesus would still be my sufficiency. He would still be enough. In fact, I have the privilege of knowing people that have had significant loss. And I, and I try my best to empathize, but I can't. And I ask them, how, how are they doing this? And they say, Jesus, he's my everything. Nothing in our lives can do that faster and more effective than prayer and fasting. He's given us the tools. Why couldn't we cast out this demon, Jesus? We've been stuck in a rut, God. You've been gone and I haven't heard your voice in a while and I'm allowing the, the teachers of the law influence me and, and the people that are speaking contrary things to, to, to the truth and, and I'm, I'm just struggling here and Jesus looks at them and yes, he's frustrated because he's like, listen, I'm about to die. I'm about to go up. How long must I be with you? When will you get it that I have given you everything? 
everything you need to remove the rut in your life. This only comes out through prayer and fasting. And yet we tell ourselves, I just need to read another self-help book. No, you need to pray and fast. I love reading. I got a goal, 52 books this year. I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. But, but listen, I need Jesus. There's no other substitute. It's not just changing my diet so that at the end I, I've lost a couple of pounds. Because if you think that's a fast, that's just dieting. I need his presence. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. I need him in 2020. This church needs him in 2020. Can I, can I tell you this? I believe that God will do more in 2020 at MWC. He will do more in this year than all the years combined. I'm believing that. And I'm going into the season of prayer and fasting, proclaiming that over this church, that he, we will see more people saved, set free, delivered, baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, that we can see and we will see revival in this church. And it's going to start when God's people prepare themselves in a season of prayer and fasting. The Lord spoke to me a couple of days ago while I was praying. He said, you, you know what you say a lot when you pray? You say, Lord, I believe you can do this. Everybody say the word can. I used to say, God, I know you are capable. I know you can do this. The Lord said, hey, enough with this theology and start building your faith. And I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, you always say, I believe you can do this, God. You're proclaiming good theology, but I want you to start praying, Lord, I believe you will do this. Because there is a different level of faith from can and will. It's one thing to say, God, I know you can do this. You're the creator of all things. You've, you spoke everything into existence. I believe you can heal and set free and deliver and save and do all these things. But Lord, I, instead I'm saying, God, I believe you will do this. I believe you will do this. You have told me that just a little bit of faith, a, a, a faith the size of a, of a mustard seed, can say, we can say to that mount, mountain, move. We can do the impossible. Prayer and fasting will bring that transformation. Can we stand in this place and receive from the Lord? I believe what he wants to do right now, maybe you're, you're on the fence. Maybe this is one of your first times at this church and you're still looking for a church. I'll be praying for you. I know that struggle of like, God, where do you want me? Where do you want me? And may, maybe you don't land at MWC. Maybe this isn't the church where you land, but I believe that, that that will be revealed to you through prayer and fasting. Join us in the fast. Now, I'm praying you land here because I'd love to have you. Maybe you live somewhere else and it just makes more sense to go, whatever it is. If that's you, pray and fast. But maybe this is home for you. Maybe you haven't been around for a while. Or maybe you've you found yourself on the outside looking in and you're like, man, that's a friendly church, but, but I've yet to serve and to give and to, to be really a part. Prayer and fasting is going to give you that boost to take that next step. Maybe you've been around for years and you have found yourself in a rut. And you, you say, you know, Pastor, I, I support this church. I, I'll give from time to time. And praise the Lord, thank you so much for doing that. But if you want to take that next step of, of what it means to be truly a part of a family, a body of Christ, to find freedom and deliverance, prayer and fasting is that entryway for you. This 
Fast is not just for the leadership of this church. It's not just for those who are community group leaders or pastors or elders in the body. This is for everyone. I believe he wants to use you and minister to you. And I'm going to ask you, if you feel that, that you are going to be praying and fasting with us, joining us, to make sure you take a card with you at the end of service that we have in the back there that will explain everything you need to know. We even have books for sale that if you wanted to pick one up in the coffee shop, I think we only have a few left of the Daniel fast. You can pick those up. I'm doing a version Bible study starting on Monday, tomorrow. We'll have, actually, I have the link up there. We'll leave that up there from now until the end of service. It's a tiny URL that you can join me on a version Bible app and we can read together. Only 150 spots and I think 20 of them were gone last night. Um, but I, we're trying to do everything we can to encourage people to pray and fast. Because listen, as much as he's going to do in your life individually, he will do in this church collectively. That neighbor that you have been praying to get saved, I believe this is the year. That child who has been running from God, I believe this is the year. That bondage that you've held on to, that you've allowed to just take residence upon your shoulder, this is the time to place that into the hands of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you have been doing. Lord, we never want to be individuals that forsake to celebrate the great things that you've done. Lord, we know you have done great things in 2019. You have blessed us. You have encouraged us. You have provided for us. Lord, you have done so many amazing things. You've brought new people into our lives and new situations. And Lord, we thank you for all of that. But God, we pray that that would not be the end of it that we would not allow ourselves to stay in a rut. So we pray that you would remove the rut of our lives through this season of praying and fasting, that you have the power to do that in our relationships with others, in our marriages, our relationships with our children, in our workplaces, where we go to school. You want to give us purpose and mission in every aspect of our lives. And we pray that this season of prayer praying and fasting that we are about to jump into starting tomorrow morning or when the clock strikes midnight tonight we pray Jesus that you would use us that you would transform us that we would find breakthrough in the name of Jesus if there's anyone on the fence we pray that they would jump all in if there was someone who was doing this thinking that they could just go through the motions we pray that faith would build up and Father, we believe, we believe, we have faith that you will do the impossible. We love you. And if that's your prayer, will you say amen? Amen. amen. Can we give the Lord some praise this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Friends, God bless you. Hey, I know that God's going to do some great things among us and through us. Every single Wednesday, we will be meeting here at 7 o'clock to pray and fast. 6.30, we'll have a Daniel fast approved dinner, so everything will be set up for you. Um, we want to do this together. The youth will be joining us. The kids, you can talk about how you want them to do that with you. We're, our kids, we're just doing snacks and things like that. But uh, guys, God bless you. We'll see you this Wednesday for prayer. Take care, guys. God bless. And that wraps up today's message. But we've got more on the way, so be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a future podcast.
You belong here, so we encourage you to get connected. You can find us on social media or online at mwcwichita.com. That's mwcwichita.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.